Hi everyone and welcome to Cooking Goals. You're listening to The Cooks. And here we talk to motivated people who are actually doing something, following their passion, how they got to where they are and their goals for the future. The aim of this podcast is to inspire people to create goals for themselves, to push towards and surpass them. Whether it be small goals like running a four minute kilometre or big goals like owning a home, I want this space to be somewhere people can come for inspiration, to listen in on a great conversation, hopefully learn something and in the process create goals for the future. Today we talk to Susan Pierce, leadership coach, author, and I would say a world-renowned speaker. You know, from, from what I've read, it's amazing. You know, met, met the Dalai Lama, written four books. You know, leadership coaching for twenty years. Just amazing. Some of the things that that you've done uh, there, Susan. So, uh, how are you today? Yeah, I'm really good. Great to be here. We've, uh, we've had a few technical difficulties, so we're about 10 minutes late, but we're all amongst it with my horrible internet here at home, uh, but we're, we're getting started now. So I first watched Susan uh, earlier this year. I, I uh, saved one of her emails where she was uh, promoted in, in a Griffith webinar, uh, which had a record number of you know, nearly 2,000 registrations, and it was talking about the attention crisis. Uh, and it was amazing, and I sat and I watched the whole thing, and it's amazing even, like, you catch yourself looking around the room or checking your phone, I'm like, this lady's talking about this and you're doing it at the same time, so, and I'm sure some people in the same audience at the time would have been doing the same thing, so I thought I'd reach out to Susan, and here we are today, so thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Now, how did this all get started? So there's so many different, I've got so many different avenues to, to I guess, talk about today, but maybe could you just tell us a little bit about your career and who you are, Susan, uh, and wh- where, where you've been and where you're at now? Yes. Um, well, I suppose where I kind of started out is when I went to university, I um, did a business degree specialising in human resources. So I kind of always was interested in people and business, but what actually changed is the approach that I took towards it. So I think, you know, early in my career, I was working in fairly traditional HR roles and it was more of a bit of a personal crisis that um, came and influenced how I, you know, do work and life now, which was um, what I call my quarter-life crisis where, you know, I thought I'd ticked all of those boxes of, you know, go to uni, get a career, get a husband, get a house, you know, all those things that we think will lead to ultimate success and happiness. And I had all that, but, you know, it was like one day just waking up with this feeling that there must be something more. And it wasn't, that sounds, you know, um, a little bit superficial, but it was a very deep feeling that kind of, um, yeah, put me in a state of like real dissatisfaction for a while. And I decided, as you do in these crisis times, to go on a little bit of a search for um, happiness. And that took me around the world, um, not because I was studying it academically, but because I thought surely happiness should come, um, you know, in a Tiffany box in New York or, you know. (laughs) And so it was kind of like wanting to go on an overseas trip that got me signing up for a conference um, that was called Mind and Life. And I didn't really know what was going to be happening at that conference, but when I turned up... um, Incidentally, well, this becomes relevant later, I had to um, become a gold sponsor because the the conference was booked out and that only cost a couple of hundred dollars more. And so um, I was lining up, you know, as the gold sponsor and I was probably just going to grab the conference material 
and you know this was in Boston and hightail it to New York but I saw two people in front of me was Richard Gere and so obviously I started becoming very fascinated then and you know my interest with this conference then peaked and what I found myself in was the first public dialogue between the Dalai Lama and Buddhist scholars and then the world's top um, neuroscientists, psychologists, psychiatrists dialoguing about the nature of the mind and it was absolutely fascinating and it was kind of this piece for me that, you know, I think in my personal life I'd been looking for happiness out there only to discover, like, it's in here, it's, you know, it's inside of us. But also from a work point of view, I was kind of frustrated that, um, you know, you might do a lead, run a leadership program and people change for the first couple of months and then they revert back to type and it was kind of like, what is this thing that's missing? And this conference really pulled, pushed the light bulbs on that the thing that was missing is just understanding the inner workings of the human. And so that, um, yeah, started with venturing into the brain, um, then brought what I was learning there and what I was inspired to into my own um, business, well, my own with my partner, um, business partner at the time, Martina Sheehan. And we brought in the first mindfulness-based um, leadership program in Australia, brought in a whole range of um, brain training guides. And so, you know, 20 years ago, it's quite common now, but 20 years ago, this was like a really new type of concept. So that's how I start. That's a very long way of, you know, telling you, how I'm now doing very similar things. So I do a lot of, you know, leadership programs, coaching, um, speaking at conferences, organisational and culture change, but it is through a very specific lens of helping people to understand themselves and their minds and access their inner wisdom. And so when you when you think back to, like, when, when some, I guess some of the clients that you've seen in terms of leadership coaching, like, what are some of the things that, I guess, or maybe the common things that, like you said, that are people like you were with the house and the kids and the, all that, are they, like, running off their phone? Like, what's... And you can you just see it straight away and you go, all right, I'm just going to, like, drop a bomb here and they're going to... Yeah. yeah is, that, is that how it kind of works? Or, or are some people a bit more elevated and just need that extra um, accountability? A little bit of both. I think um, more and more people are waking up to this notion that, you know, whether it's happiness, success, performance is an inside job. There are more people waking up to that. But, no, I would think predominantly, definitely over the last 20 years, it's people coming and saying, you know, oh, I need a new step in my career or I'm so ridiculously busy I'm starting to lose my mind. It's all those types of issues that people usually come in on because I think, you know, dealing with busyness is probably the number one um, you know, issue for managers and executives these days, but probably anyone in life as well. You know, there's not too many people who wouldn't report that they've got a busy mind, but I'm seeing more and more people in organisations suffering suffering extreme burnout um, and stress from it. And, yeah, they end up um, seeing me. But, you know, people come to me on all different issues. Organisations so- sometimes come and say, um, we need a diff- we've got some culture problems and you know we want to move the organization to being this type of culture or they might come and say um we need a high performing 
management team and at the moment they're not high performing and so it's almost no matter what the issue is there is a solution that involves mind mindset and just getting still and seeing what you know pops in when you actually ban all the busyness around you yeah wow and so i guess when, when you went to that conference the they must they mustn't have had a lot of you know these days you get a conference email and it's got the whole schedule what you can eat who's talking what I guess there mustn't have been a lot of that information when you ended up turning up to you know the Dalai Lama's office basically you know <laughs> I um I love your interpretation of that I think what's probably more correct is I didn't pay attention to a lot of those things because the conference was secondary going to New York for the very first time and you know thinking that you know shopping and eating out at restaurants and all of those things was going to show me the answer to happiness was more that you know number one goal so I think I didn't pay enough attention to what was going on in the brochure but regardless you know when I turned up there was no way I was walking away when I saw Richard Gere there yeah well and so is, is that the, you know even in these situations it's not to say that you weren't happy with the things that you had in your life but it's also like that there is that something more and I think you know not yourself but I think a lot of people would get to that you know I'm 25 now I'm, I'm a quarter way through and it's like well you know is is this the is this all it is you know like it's saying um especially PhD academia like it's very like on all the time um and in my head in my own head I'm like oh is this what I want to continue doing things like that like it's really important I think for people to question you know like you said even like you said in your you know in your webinar like be idle and think about what you're doing and why you're doing yeah. it and how you're going to approach the day and stuff like that. Um, otherwise, think, people just yeah. run. Absolutely. Sorry to cut you off. No, there. good. I, think, I want you to go, yeah. Yeah. I think now I know, because I've probably had a couple of these since, that those little things are just nudges of wake-up calls for growth, that there's more to explore, that there's more to get curious about, that there's more... Um, you know, things to work on to evolve yourself as well. And I think, you know, if people did more of what exactly what you're saying, you know, um, forced time where they get introspective, where they get reflective, you wouldn't see so many crashes that we see in, you know, humanity where, you know, people don't review what they're doing until they are severely depressed or until they have lost the relationship that was important to them or until they have faced a major um, career crisis. Yeah. So now I think, you know, that reflections is very important to me and it's something that I try to teach and instill in leaders as well. But I think um, for a lot of people, they're a bit scared of what they might find if they fall still and go into their mind a little bit. But it's also like if you find something that, you know, okay, I'm going to sit down and have a look at this and you find something that you don't like, it's better to find it than to keep dealing with it and be like, oh, well, you know, I actually don't like doing that. Um, and then it's gone yeah. and then it's out and you can make space for something else or not even not even make space for something else. Just say that I don't, that doesn't serve me anymore. It's out. It's gone. Absolutely. But it does take courage to confront your own things. Sometimes it's a lot easier to um, numb out on a bit of alcohol or stay in a relationship we're not really happy in or you know like so much so many of the times we're just pushing those things under and I think it takes a great deal of courage to be able to look at what is getting presented to you in these wake up 
calls and do something about it. But yes, you're absolutely right. If left ignored, the voice just becomes louder and louder. And then I think it even pushes that you know quarter life crisis to halfway, and then it's yep. like oh, it's kind of like too, I'm fifty now. It's too late, or like you know, and it's like I'm. I'm performing to life expectations, but what are my expectations for myself? And you can't, you know, com- you can't compare those because you're your own person compared to what, you know, government or parents or colleagues expect of you as well. So it is so true, and I think um, this is the way I've headed more recently with my work, and certainly in um, my fourth book coming out is just this turn from, you know, always looking to the experts, the authorities, always looking to someone else to give you the answer to your own life. And, of course, you know, the roadmap for all of us is something that's unique to each of us, but it's also inside of us. And so, yeah, my kind of message, you know, at the moment of this thing of, you know, you are your own guru, you are your own expert. It just is a matter of um, connecting with that. And sometimes that means shutting out all of these loud external voices. But also, like, these days, they're all available. Do you know what I mean? Like, 20 years ago, you couldn't just look up, like, you know, uh, personal trainer, dietitian, I need a psychologist, I need, where's the best coffee? Like, you just had to decide what you thought was the best and then you went with it. And whereas now, it's like the, you know, everyone compares everyone to everything and you have a million different options on Google reviews or whatever you choose to do. It's like, well, hang on. Let's just make a decision, sit down, do it. Didn't like it. Okay, next one. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just crazy with all the, you know, and we'll talk about it with your webinar. We'll probably actually go into that. So you, the Attention Crisis webinar, so like the, the steps that you put in there are so awesome and, and I've done bits of meditating previously and I've started again this year and it's really helped. Like uh, you talked about the five senses and, and, you know, listening to birds and stuff in the morning is actually so nice as well as like yeah. being idle and actually sitting and doing nothing. So could you tell us about those, I guess, those steps if you want to share? Or if you don't have time, we can I can um, push listeners to go watch the webinar as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. You just might need to remind me of some of the steps I talked about because I always talk about something very different and everything I do. But, you know, just to, to pick up on a couple of things, um, this, you know, the way being present, it really is the skill of um, today's times, whether you're a student, whether you're a leader, whether you're a you know mother, no matter what it is, and you know for most people they think being present is just about two words that we aspire to, but it's actually a practical skill. And the way we become present is to connect our mind with one of our five senses, because of course our five senses are always in the present moment. So you know I can feel the carpet on my feet right now. I can feel the air. On my skin, that's always kind of a sensory um, element in the present. Whereas our mind, and you know, research found that for the average person, they spend 48% of their day just completely lost in thought. So often our body's one place and our mind is somewhere completely different. And we see that through people's eyes gazing over, or we're talking to someone and we can see that they're not um, listening. And a way to bring yourself back is to just find one of those senses to connect to and you know for me it's always the feet on the floor or just taking a deep breath or as you were saying listening to the birds or if you are walking part of your way to um, uni or to work of looking up and actually um, you know observing the clouds in the sky or the 
colour of the leaf against the sky, whatever it might be, that simple act of just connecting to what's around us is what trains that practical skill of being present. But this kind of leads on to the next thing that you mentioned is we've kind of lost a lot of that because of busyness, because of efficiency, because of, you know, I can't stop and smell the roses because I've got to get, you know, to work and I've got 50 things on my to-do list, whatever it might be for you. But those moments of stopping and just having that idle time, even if it is only for a minute, is really important to our brain and to our well-being. But first, if you look at the brain, in terms of brain performance, um, I kind of equate it to technology. And just like you were having some issues with your computer before, it was like, it shuts down and then it's going to be okay. And it's the same with our brain that we need to shut it off, give it rest and recovery for it to perform at its optimal levels. So the more we can find little bits of idle time in our day and we don't have to create new time because it tends to already exist in our day, but we're filling it. So, for example, you're waiting to get your takeaway coffee. What do you do? You pull out your phone or, um, you know, you start going over some notes for your exam or you start, you know, rehashing some awful meeting that you had, you know, half an hour ago. But if you could just use that idle time to fall still, not think of anything in particular, but to connect to your breath, connect to the sights around you and the sounds, then that is extremely restorative to the brain and refreshes it and will make sure that, you know, you're at your good performance as well. But the same as, you know, just our our well-being that for most people we're just rushing from one thing to another and pretty much missing out on life not seeing really what's going on but you can imagine that sort of threat state and your um kind of stress response is always at high alert just running from one thing to another so the benefit of being able to bring some deep breathing into that or some moments of pause is just really really critical and I think, yeah, I think the the breath is another one to try and bring you back to, um, like, into in the present cycle. I think you were saying as well in the webinar, you take a deep breath or two and you're like, all right, this is where I am. It kind of, like, like, I guess it, like, goes from, like, red to blue, like, really hot to cold. And you just kind of feel like, all right, well, this is where I am. This is what I'm doing. Like, yeah. just kind of calms you down as well. And it's a, it's a good strategy. Absolutely. I, um, and that's a good... You go. Yeah. Sorry. No, you go. It's your, your show. Um, the good thing yeah about the breath is it's also calming down the parasympathetic um, system so you know not only are you getting your mind still you're getting your nervous system nourished as well and I often um, talk about the six second pause that for in terms of the human brain our emotional brain is six seconds faster than our um, logical brain which is why sometimes we react to something or, you know, we might send off a fiery email and then regret it later on. Um, Or we get, you know, people use the word triggered by things, our hot buttons are pressed and just a six-second breath not only will calm you down but will also make sure that your emotional brain comes back into sync with your logical brain so you do have some, you know, control over things and that's just a matter of breathing in for a count of two holding that for a count of two and then breathing out for a count of two just you know letting that breath 
as if it's moving down your body and out the tip of your toes and into um, the grass or the floor. So that's a really powerful one between activities, but also when you're feeling like you're getting emotional about something and you need to pull your resources back in to work through those emotions or whatever it might be. And is, are these some of the things that you're you are teaching these people when they come for for leadership coaching? Is that what they're asking absolutely. for? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And um, you know, it always is about in leadership how you show up. Or you know, interesting. Ashbardi's just um, you know, won the tennis, and there's a lot about her mindset coach, and you know, the work that he's doing with her around workout who you want to be, what mindset you need to have. And it's like then the tennis skill comes, you know, at a different point after that. But it's all about how you show up for the game. And I think leadership is exactly the same. It's all about you, how you show up. You could be the best leader in the world, but if you are consumed by stress and busyness, you're going to miss so many things, um, you know, to be a good leader. But also if you're consumed by insecurity and fears and anxiety and things like that too, it's going to have the biggest impact on your leadership performance. So when I'm working with leaders, the first place is always how do you lead yourself? Mm. So, And that's everything from questions around what do you want to be known for? What are your um, beliefs and core values through to leadership presence? How do you show up in the world in a way that you're clear, that you're calm, that you're purposeful as well? That's awesome. Mm. And I'll tell you a little bit back now. So you, you did mention you, you're writing your fourth book. Could you tell the listeners just about, I guess, your books um, and, and you know what they're about and, and also yeah, yeah. one that's coming up? Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, you know, the link with all of them, I've been sort of reflecting on this myself. If you look at the theme between all of my work and all of my books, it's all around how do we navigate what's a very complex, uncertain and unpredictable world and that the most important lever is that we can actually navigate our internal world so we can see what's going on externally a lot more clearer. So there's different parts to that. So the first book was all around fears. I think it's a really relevant, even though this was written probably six years ago, very relevant um, today. So it's called Wired for Life and it's about the five fears that will hold you back in survival and how you actually get over those to be thriving in your life. So these are five fears that exist because of how the brains evolved. They were really important for our ancestors, but today the same fears can drive us in different directions. So they're things like fear of failure. So very important if you get a mistake, if you make a mistake, you could get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger for our ancestors. But for us, Failure brings learning, it brings growth, it brings innovation, it brings so many things. And when we fear failure, it paralyzes us and keep, keeps us stuck. So that's one example. Um, but there's four other fears as well. And so it goes into, you know, the evolutionary um, reason for having that fear, but then how that fear can hold us back in the modern world, but more importantly, how we can get over it. The second one then, I suppose, is about the attention crisis. It's called One Moment, Please. It's time to pay attention. And it's just about how 
society and as individuals, we are losing the ability to pay attention that, you know, having as technology has gotten more advanced and it's been, you know, given us so much great things and so many conveniences, but it has also meant that human beings have a different way of operating now that we're multitasking, that we're working on double screens that while we're watching the tv we're also on our phone and on our ipad and um you know all of these habits of mind get trained into the brain and the consequence of it is that yeah the human um attention span is now sitting at like six seconds and i think we've all experienced that where we might even be watching a movie and then literally our minds wandered off onto something else or we might be in a conversation even listening to this um podcast and our mind just wanders off so yeah that's about um reviving that art of paying attention then the next book is do less be more just challenging some of those myths around busy isn't better there's so many examples of where being busy and the drive for efficiency has actually impacted quite significantly on innovation on relationships, on leadership, on child development, you kind of name it. And so this book is a practical book that has 21 exercises to help you slow down and actually achieve more. So that's those three. Do you want the sneak peek on the new Yeah, book if you're allowed out? to. You know, you got, I know you got publishers and type of stuff. They're like, hey, don't speak too much about it. But, yeah, love to. I haven't asked the question yet, so this will be the first um, sneak peek into it, and it's out in May or June, and the book is called Spiritually Loose, and it's basically a memoir of my search for the guru outside of myself, that thing about always listening to experts and, how you know, all of the search to find things out there to only find that the guru is inside and so it goes through a bit of a path it lays out a little bit of a pathway to people hoping that you know seeing that story will inspire them to get in touch with their own inner knowing and to stop handing that authority of their own lives over to other people that's awesome yeah it's all about i guess self-control uh, and yeah. I, I guess trusting your own instinct as well. It's like, well, what you know, you can go to any expert and ask anything, but if it doesn't work for you, it's not going to work. So you need to, I guess, try and realise what what's important to you. So that that's really cool. Yeah. I like that one. And how is that? How how do you find the writing process uh, for writing something more a bit more personal? Yeah, it was um, it was good. I actually started this book probably five years ago. Um, because I was kind of making sense of that journey that I was on. And so, like, there was little, you know, journal scribblings from, yeah, five years ago of starting this. But then I actually started a new program, and this was in the midst of when COVID first started, called the Conscious Book Writing Club, where I guide other people through how to write a nonfiction book. And so it's an eight-week online program, and I encourage people to produce a chapter a week and so um last year or it might have been the year before i decided to bring this book back out and to use that eight weeks as part of the group i was mentoring to um finish my own book so in a lot of ways i felt like i had uh, other collaborators on it and this is the thing the first three books was done with um my business partner 
Martina and we just had such a beautiful collaborative and creative process but I found it again in this group of you know 10 people that I was mentoring so yeah it was really good that's awesome mate. That, was, that was my next question is about that book club it's, it's a different sort of it's not a reading book club it's a writing book club and how, how that came about and that, that's so awesome yeah. and so essentially yeah. um I think everyone's got a book in them and you know like it may people might want to write a book for various reasons some people want to become an expert in something some people just want to leave a bit of a reflection of their life maybe to pass on to kids but yeah I was just hearing of more and more people who wanted to write books but talked about it for 10 years basically and didn't produce any kind of results and I just thought about you know it's really good to have a structure and for me having you know written three books I had the know-how of the creative side of it but then to provide people with a structure so that within those eight weeks they had produced a lot of their book and you know there's already three that are out there published in the world now which is just great but yeah that was a pivot for me um to use a COVID word when um COVID hit and obviously when you spend a career speaking at a lot of conferences and workshops I think I saw my whole year got cancelled in the space of two weeks and so I had to get creative about okay what can I take online are there you know new things that are still aligned to my purpose that I can start doing and the book writing thing was a little bit of a no-brainer because there were a lot of people that were um, in lockdown at that time too. And so, you know, definitely down in Melbourne, I had many participants from for programs there. And it was their outlet during that time as well. So sometimes it felt like a therapy group. It was, yeah, a really great program. That's awesome. That's so cool. I, I think I, I do agree with you. I think everyone's got some sort of story, whether it's fictional or non-fictional, to be able to tell and create for themselves um, and, and for others to read as well. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm even um, encouraging a lot of leaders that I work with to write short stories about themselves because I think when you hold yourself up to be a leader, I think there is a certain level of responsibility to um, be vulnerable with your journey to your followers or to you know the people that you're leading whether this is in government or it's in politics or if it's anything and I think um yeah being able to really reflect on what makes you you is a really valuable process for a leader yeah there's a few emails that I get from from Monash and they're they uh, you know one's a from like the head of whatever and I've only met him a few times in a large group online but it's cool to see that he's like yeah he 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 talks about yeah I read books and yeah I've been in lockdown too and I've tried you know to play guitar and it's like well this making him relatable doesn't seem like he's some big scary business boss type of thing because yeah. I know that he's doing the same things that I'm doing you know in his in yeah. his spare time so that I really um I'm trying to invite him on the show too to to get his perspectives awesome. but um yeah I see him as a leader just because he's sharing with us who are you know the students are like the bottom of the university you know, uh, hierarchy, and he's trying to reach out, which is great. Yeah, it is awesome. Really awesome. Now, can you tell us about the Mind, mind Garden or the Mind Gardener? The, the way I picture this is so cool. I, I When I heard that term, I just pictured myself, you know, in my head, uh, like walking around this massive, beautiful farm, 
just walking around in silence and just looking at the flowers. And I was like, oh, is that is that how it's supposed to be interpreted? Like a peaceful mind? I'm, I'm not sure. So I thought I'd ask. Yes, absolutely. And this is the thing about the mind that, you know, we've always been advocates of getting it out of your mind in a lot of ways. And this is the mind gardener is, um, you know, really about weeding the things that are unhelpful for your mind. So, you know, when we ruminate, when we have negative self-talk, when we um, are always what-ifing and scaring ourselves about the future or we're always rerunning something negative, they're all habits of mind that don't serve us in any way. So when you think about the garden, it's kind of like pulling out those weeds, but then there's also seeds that you can plant to cultivate a really healthy and happy mind as well. So, you know, the seed of presence and the seed of clarity and the seed, as you say, of, you know, just peace and that calm, Um, the seed of focusing on your strengths instead of focusing on all your weaknesses all the time, the seed of focusing on what you're grateful for. You know, there's so many of these positive mental habits that we need to plant in our minds. But, you know, the real kind of visual with that is that um, the mind is like a garden. Whatever you focus on is going to grow. Um, Whatever you water is going to grow. Whatever you don't use is actually going to die off. And I think, you know, this was a bit of information, particularly a couple of decades ago, where the majority of people think the brain just stays the same you know it grows to the age of 16 and then that's your brain for the rest of your life but not true our brains are constantly changing every second of the day including while we're asleep and you know those neurons are like branches that are reaching out and connecting with each other so yeah the the mind garden just had so many um great analogies for both how the brain works but also how you want to set up a really successful platform for your mind. Yeah, I really like that analogy of planting seeds and I, I think about it with like a physical habit, like, oh, it's really hard for me to, look, not me personally, but if someone wants to say it's hard for me to read a book and it's like, well, you know, you don't just walk in with a tree and put it, put it in the ground. You put your seeds down, you read five pages a day or a week and then you get to ten and then you've got more leaves and then, then you hang on, then you've got a whole library or a whole garden, so... Yeah, that's a really cool analogy. I like that. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the time where, well, again, it's, you know, the culture that we're in, which you can get everything very quickly. You know, it's, everything's at our fingertips. We're losing that, um, I guess, patience in some way and that appreciation that it is often the small steps that get embedded over time that create the most significant change and so yeah I really support and this is like when people say to me oh I can't meditate yeah well if you sit down and expect yourself to meditate for 30 minutes the first time you do it then I had a lot of problems with that too but if you start for one minute a day just connecting to your breath and you slowly build up from that you're going to have a lot better chance of doing it and I mean to tell you the truth that some days I find I don't have the time to meditate but I will never throw it out I'll just do a minute or two minutes and I think you know the value that we can get just out of these small shifts and small things that we can do for our mind is quite huge meditation is a super challenging practice and habit like I do 10 minutes in the morning 
and some days you're on fire and all you can hear is your breath. The next day you've got like six weeks of planning yeah. in, fr- in front of you and you're like, hang on, just sit back and breathe. Like it's not something that you can just like, it's not like a switch, like a turning the toaster on. It's like, it's, it's like buzzing all the time like, zzz, like that and you got to try and, totally. yeah, uh, hold. And the other thing, yeah, the other thing that you've highlighted there is a very important thing for everyone to know is that our mental and emotional state changes every single day. And so I often say, you know, to leaders, this practice, even if you can just do it for 10 seconds, close your eyes when you wake up in the morning and just check in to your mental state, it's crucial because if you can see at the start of the day that you're agitated and your mind is racing, then guess what? When you go into that first meeting, chances are you're not going to be, you know, behaving as centred or grounded as you might like to be so yeah that change is happening all the time and i think yeah if if there's sort of even just one reason to do it is to check in and observe some of those states and also know that they're okay like you know the fact that one day our mind's racing we haven't failed at meditation um it's just being able to sit there and hold space for all of those thoughts yeah i've listened to hugh jackman in a podcast and he said oh check in with yourself before you check in with the world even if it takes, like, one minute or, like you said, ten minutes or half an hour, however long you want to do it, it's like you're checking in with Susan or Nathan before I go into that crazy, like, seven billion people thing. Yeah. Uh, like, because usually you're in bed with your partner or yourself and you wake up and you're there either asleep or awake. It's like, hey, just give us ten seconds before we get into the day. Like, especially with people's young kids or it's like whatever, it's like, it's just go as soon as you get up. Like, yeah. um, if you don't have that, like myself, it's like, well, I have the time to plan my day, meditate, read, whatever I want to do, make a coffee and just sit and be like, all right, what's on today? And, and you can do that, you know, you've got, what, thousands and thousands of days in front of you. Like, you yeah. know, and if you miss one, it's all right as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, yeah, just that power of having some morning routine that could be 10 seconds one day, it could be 50 minutes the other day it really just reminds you that there is a place of connection with yourself there is a place where you can actually go internal and connect with a deeper kind of part of you and I just think that's important because it reminds you throughout the day that if you ever need to retreat from the world you can go back and get um, a little bit of sustenance from you know that place inside you I often think it's like um you know the ocean where if you've got rough waves, you can always go down to the ocean floor and, um, you know, there's a stability there and it's like reminding yourself that we've all got that ourselves. We've got that place to be accessed by, you know, your breath again where you can feel stable no matter what chaos is going on in the world, even if it's momentarily. Yeah, and, that, and you, you even feel that when you go. If you, I know I've got a question about the ocean for you, but... When, if you're in the ocean and you're swimming in the flags and there's 100 people, if you dive under, you cannot hear a thing. You can't yeah. see a thing. And it's just very... And you're like, oh, what happened? Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you escaped the chaos. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. Now, I see you've written a blog post. I, ha- I haven't jumped into it, cause, but you also mentioned it in, in the attention crisis. And I want to get into this as, like, having... Or not having a to-do list or the not-to-do list. Because I have, like a trillion lists and I'm, I'm a bit of a list person. So I wanted to really get your perspective on, on, on that and how how you use it if you do. Yep. Um, and I have both. I love a to-do 
to-do list and the whole idea of a not-to-do list is that, you know, often we're way too ambitious on our to-do list. Um, We actually get a dopamine hit from ticking something off. It doesn't matter whether that thing was really important or it was just, you know, completely insignificant. So we've got chemicals that are um, encouraging us to do, 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 do all the time. And I suppose the notion of the to-do list is write your write your to-do list and then choose sort of three things from it to put on a not-to-do list. And those are those three things that you're kind of going, oh, I'm just doing that thing to get it done. It's not even the right timing for it. I don't even have all the enough information for it. Or I'm just doing that because, you know, again, I'm caught in this doing cycle, but there is no need to do that thing. Someone else is going to step in and take care of that for me. So I think this is really to kind of zero in on the doing that we do that isn't important, isn't impactful, yet it puts us into this whole busy-minded and busy life syndrome. Yeah, like trying to fit... 12 five-minute activities into an hour. It's just like, bang, 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 bang. <laughs> yeah. It feels good, doesn't it? Like, I know the days that I'm achieving things, it's like, it, it just feels so good. And um, But, yeah, it is that going back to that thing of we need going slow, stopping and pausing, resting. Like, I'm a massive advocate of taking time out and making sure that we get the rest and... Um, you know, just that renewal to keep going on with what we're doing. And I don't think we rest enough anymore. Mm. I also think that, like, you should search for that hit of, like, dopamine in something else. Like, where else do I achieve that? Like, I don't, like, say if I write run, go for a run on my to-do list, I don't get that hit of crossing it off. I get the hit from the running type of thing. Like, it's like true. maybe, like, try and... Um, look at it a different way type of thing as well. That's true. And, you know, that's the thing that often the things on our to-do list can turn us into almost robots that put tasks ahead of people. So even, you know, why don't we think on our to-do list of connecting with my partner or connecting with my roommate or friend or whoever it might be as really legitimate activities that should be on your to-do list. And again, this is a thing with the not to-do list. If you take three things off, you create space for what really matters, which might be doing nothing or it might be connecting with another human being, doing something purposeful. But I think for everyone, we fall into that syndrome of I will do the important purposeful stuff when it's not so busy. And we actually know that it's life's never like that. We never get to the point where we're like, oh, okay, I'm not busy. I can do the proactive stuff now. It never happens. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, my dad, when I first started, I graduated from uni. He's like, oh, welcome. I started a job. And he's like, welcome to the next 50 years. And I was like, oh, thanks. Like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, you'll never, he's like, you'll never catch up. Don't try. And I was like, this yeah. is really encouraging. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So he's like, just, yeah. just get what you can get done, and that's right, type of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and um, yeah, this is the thing, and again, it comes back to this same principle of you can't wait for the external world to slow down or to give us permission to take time off or any of those things. All of this comes back to yourself, setting your own boundaries, setting yeah what you will do and won't do. 
um, you know, I remember like at your age and early in my career, I'd, I'd go into work on Saturdays and when I looked at it, the stuff just didn't need to be done. And so sometimes boundaries that just go, nope, I'm working these hours or on these days, I think all of that stuff's important because your boss is never going to come to you. Well, they might these days, but back then certainly the boss wasn't going to come to me and go, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Like take some time off. It's up to you. Yeah. And that, like you said, like, I think, yeah, um, boundaries are a super important thing to try and they're very hard to establish, especially like with yourself, but then letting other people know those, those boundaries. Like, I oh, no, I don't do that on this day. Like, sorry. Um, and now yeah. some people react like, well, what do you mean? It's like, it's like, no, it's just like, it's, it's not, you don't need to understand. It doesn't matter. It's just yeah. accept it. That's what I've chosen to do. Sit yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's really good. I, um, I struggle with that, but that's, um, something I'm, I'm working on. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know, I think too, there's a people pleaser part of all of us where, it's hard to say no, but what we don't realise is that whenever we're saying yes, we're always saying no to something, but usually we're saying no to ourselves, no to our own space, our own peace of mind when we take on things that we know are kind of tipping that bucket of workload over. Yeah, that was another thing that was there. That I just pictured the webinar then and having like the, the attention, it was like the attention oh, yeah. analogy of the bucket and it's like... Um, I think, like, if you poke a hole in the bucket, it starts to leak, but it's like you're poking, like, 50 holes in because your attention is just spread out so thinly everywhere. Yeah. It's not like it's not focused on just keeping the bucket full and you're, like, over-spilling over, over or... Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's a useful sort of visual to get that I wake up with a bucket of attention. What am I going to spend it on? Because if I don't take control over that, I've watched a cat video, scrolled the news feeds done worried about what's going to go on today and by the time i'm even leaving my house my bucket of attention could already be half kind of depleted and you know this is a reason why that a lot of people get home um you know after their day of work or uni or whatever else it might be and just want to zone out in front of the tv because it's like the attention bucket has been well and truly used up and there is nothing left to give and that's a shame because at the end of the day we're withholding attention from the people that really matter so this is just about making conscious choices about where you're going to spend your attention because if you let the world control that it's just going to spill out everywhere yeah i really like that it's funny that you know these two things like time and attention and we use the words like spending time and paying attention like it's a currency because it is like you only have a certain amount you know, tomorrow will come and you'll get paid again with 24 hours and it's like, all right, well, what am I going to spend it on? You know, yeah. where am I going to use this extra 20 cents or, you yeah. know what, I'm going to cash it in because I can't be bothered. I'm going to clock out for the day, you know. So, so yeah. um, it's true. It is a currency. And, you know, this is the thing too that, um, you know, often people will say things like, oh, at the end of the week, I'm, you know, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling so... Um, you know, depressed or exhausted or whatever, the question is always, what did you pay attention to that week? Because we should be paying attention to things that actually fill up our cups, not that leave us in really negative states. So it's always a prompt to me, you know, if I'm feeling negative, ask the question, what have you been paying attention to? Because, um, yeah, paying, you're usually getting something back in return and it's usually a reward 
important. So pay attention to the things that actually light us up. I really like that. I'm going to start questioning myself if I'm ever in a shit mood. What am I paying attention to? Or that person over there is doing something. Or, no, this animal who's in my property. I don't know, just an example. Or I'm paying attention to all the things I haven't done yet rather than actually paying attention to the things that I have done. I'm paying attention to all of my negative self-talk rather than actually paying attention to the things I've done really well and what my strengths are. Yeah, focus on the plus, not the minus. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Now, I've got a few different more personal questions here, Susan. So you also, um, I guess, have a passion for yoga. So yes. what is, is kund, Kundalini? Is that how you yep. say it? Yep. What type of yoga is that? Is that standard or is it I'm, – I'm, I'm not sure. No, it's a really interesting type of um, yoga that kind of focuses on um, a lot of breath work. So, you know, it's a game where I kind of learnt that, you know, we get up and just expect our body's going to be able to run all day. Um, we'd never do that with a car. We'd make sure we're putting fuel in. And so kundalini yoga and the breath work is like um, fuel for your body. So everything you're doing in kundalini yoga is elevating your energy. So there's breath work, there's um, movement, there's um you know, ancient sort of mantras that you recite. And, yeah, so it's quite a different form of um, yoga, but it's all about working with kundalini energy to clear out the blockages that we have in our bodies but also to elevate us to different energy levels. That's awesome. So I think on your page it says you came across this in Spain and did some training and stuff like that. Yeah, so um, I first got exposed to it at a conference and straight away and, you know, just on the topic of breath work, it's getting some real popularity. There was like Wim Hof and all the stuff that he's kind of bringing into it. But I see now and I can see the power of everyone doing, you know, 10 minutes of breath work a day because as soon as I did that as part of Kundalini, you get this natural elevation in your body where it's like all of your cells feel like they're completely alive you can get a real buzz kind of from it so the first time I did it I'm like wow I've never felt like that before I want more of this and I'm not a person that tends to do things from by halves so I actually signed up to become a kundalini yoga teacher not because I ever thought I would teach but because I wanted to have the most intensive experience of it and um so this was in chose to go in Spain because you know that was wonderful to be able to travel to the different side of the world and meet all of these other yogis from all over the world but yeah it was when to be qualified I had to do seven days um three times so you know these days often started at 3 a.m in the morning and finished at eight o'clock last at night they were absolutely grueling and did that three times over the course of probably a year oh wow so you did like 60 days no sorry um three lots of seven days okay yeah cool yeah yeah wow that's amazing and then i mean in between that you had to keep up a daily practice you had to be going to kind of classes and all that sort of stuff but that intensive experience yeah it was really quite mind-blowing so i still um, i still do a yoga practice every morning that's great I also love to hear a bit more about, I guess, your your passion for the ocean. So you've written on your page about how you love the ocean. I'm never, I'm, I don't know where that picture is on on your website, but yeah, I'd love to hear how 
how you connect to the ocean as well. Yeah, the pitch is um, Noosa. And, yeah, I've just always, always loved the water. And, you know, I grew up um, up north in Mackay, so very lucky to have access to the Whitsunday Islands and all of those types of places. So, you know, there's good memories from childhood. But what I think it really comes down to is for some reason the ocean is a place that, again, connects me back to myself. So, you know, a lot of times when I'm at the beach, when I'm swimming in the water, it feels like, you know, things are getting downloaded to me. I could design a one-day workshop in five minutes in the ocean and it feels like, you know, the ocean's downloading secret messages to me. But what's really going on is it's just a place that really centres me, gets me present and I start sort of getting you know, deep into myself where all of all of the ideas kind of lay. So, yeah, it's an interesting kind of relationship. But, yeah, as soon as I see anybody of water, I just immediately feel calm and, yeah, just very passionate about it. I don't know any more than that about why, but... Yeah, no, that's, I, I, have, I, have a, I have a same, similar experience where I, I feel like I dive in and it's like I just go somewhere else. And then yeah. I come back and I'm like, oh, I'm refreshed. Like if it's if it's one, like one freestyle stroke, and then I'm out, or I catch one wave, or if I've if I'm in there for an hour, it's like I kind of disappear, go under the water, and I come back like all recharged. Like I guess yeah. is is the way to explain it to me. Oh, yeah, the way I, I agree. Watch it. It's really yeah. It's quite magical, and even like me living in Brisbane. So that photo was in Noosa. Um, and, you know, I tend to go to both the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast quite um, frequently, but I can definitely feel the difference if I've been at the beach for a week and I come back to Brisbane. It's like my body's just in a completely different state. So it's definitely made for the ocean. And I just, um, once the kids are out of school, I will think about um, moving there myself, moving the, to the beach to be shack. close to it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Now, we've only got a few mo- uh, moments left, but there's a, a few things I just wanted to ask. Was, um, it's, and, and one of my goals this year is to try and define, you know, my purpose, my professional one, as well as personal purposes. So I know that you've, you've written that on your website as well. So I guess what pathway led you to, I guess, or what helped you discover or know what it was when, when it came to you? Yeah. Um, you know, and again, it's to just remember that purpose is why I'm here. It's not what am I supposed to do. And I think, you know, the path that led me to it were things like um, knowing my strengths, knowing what were those things that really lit me up. Like I knew that whenever I was running workshops, I would come away buzzing and just being inspired or whenever a leader told me about how they thought differently, I'd just about get tears in my eyes and you know there were all of these kind of body reactions I suppose to just knowing that you're on the path that you're supposed to be so um, very early on I um, sort of identified that my purpose was to raise consciousness so by that just being raising awareness waking people up helping them think differently and when you know that broad purpose you can kind of get into a whole range of things in your career. So that's how I've kind of got into, yeah, well, I work in business, but then also books. I've done work in schools and, you know, a whole range of different things that if I focused on what do I want to do, I wouldn't have had the breadth 
of opportunity but that focus on the why um i'm also a big believer in you know hearing the hearing my Dalai Lama story that we um when we are present it's like pathways do tend to just open for us and sometimes it is a matter of just being very present watching for when our gut feel says yes you should take that opportunity or yes you should take that path and a lot of the time our purpose will come out of that and this is back to where we started the conversation never deny one of those wake-up calls because usually the wake-up calls are a nudge to get onto your path to purpose and it'd be i guess it's you know i wouldn't say it's hard to know when they're there but you know everyone has a caller id these days so when that phone rings it'd be nice to know okay this is it this is the one it says wake up and you go cool i'll be waiting for this like <laughs> special ringtone yeah. like yeah cool and, and that's so true but i think um then the other thing that i would just caution is we can get too obsessed with finding the meaning of life and what our purpose is and another way to look at it is just to find our place like just to be in a position where you want to use your strengths and circumstances to serve a need that's in front of you and you know the more that we just have a bit of a service mentality to wanting to serve the greater good wanting to serve another human wanting to serve the need in front of us that often puts us on a path to purpose as well without having to define it ourselves that's great thank you so much for your reflection on that that's awesome to hear yeah no worries could you could you tell us about that story the the Dalai Lama so was is he in line with Richard Gere or what was the story no, there he, he definitely didn't need to line up um, he was the main he was the main attraction but um, as I mentioned we because myself and my business partner went on this trip um, signed up to be gold sponsors because it was the only way we could get in it wasn't you know I think it was two hundred dollars extra but on the last day the organizers came to us because the gold sponsors were richard gear myself and martina goldie horn a few other kind of people and there's probably only like 15 of us but we got the real special kind of treatment and the organizer came up at the end and said um you know his holiness would like to have a private audience with each of you and so we all got escorted backstage so I'm, I'm sure i was just riding on richard gear's ticket here but um had yeah just a few moments with him which were just yeah so kind of memorable just to you know bow our heads to each other to look into his eyes what an amazing presence that man has to thank his um curiosity because he really has advanced a lot of things he's a real lover of science and he's obviously a real lover of all the practices um in his tradition and I think he's advanced a lot of his thinking has advanced a lot of the modern day interpretations now of the benefits of um meditation and other things like that so yeah it really was just one of those moments where um as I said life just puts you on a path like I couldn't have planned to meet him it was just like such a random thing to be standing there meeting with him with you know Richard Gere on one side and yeah Amazing. Yeah, I just thought of like a holiday itinerary, all right, cool, day one, Starbucks, day two, meet the Dalai Lama, like, yeah, yeah. day three. Exactly. <laughs> so I think, I honestly think there's a lesson in that, and this goes back to my purpose thing of, if you can just stay present, 
be true to the voice, you know, that's going on within you, be true to your intuition, your gut feel and all of those things and just take these steps without necessarily knowing where they're going to lead because often the plan um, that's not dictated by our own minds is something way more kind of better than we could imagine. Yeah, and it's hard to, you can't, I guess, grab it or take hold of it because it's, it's theirs. Whoever's out there planning it, they know what's going yep. on and you just got to walk into it. So it's very true. Now, yep. very last question, Susan, I ask this to all my guests is, you know, what's an ideal day for Susan Pierce? So I always take people back to the example of my friend Aaron, you know, waking up surfing in the morning, snowboarding in the evening, you know, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be work-related. Um, so if you woke up in the morning, you know, what would you want to be doing for that day? Yep. So my ideal day is definitely waking up at the beach and going for a swim, probably around sunrise, doing a bit of meditation after that, a bit of yoga, going to a coffee shop. I also love coffee, spending a couple of hours um, writing. So whether I'm writing blogs or I'm just writing reflections or I'm designing something, just sitting there with a notepad Then it would be a long lunch with a group of girlfriends, um, probably at a coastal, at a beach location, but yeah, um, you know, my my group of friends, very, very important to me. An afternoon of um, rainforest walking or swimming in waterholes with my kids and um, yeah, I don't know, I think by that time I'd be... (laughs) exhausted and ready for bed no i'd be so super chilled i'd um maybe just an evening of um reading and just yeah connecting back to myself and having an early night as i've gotten older i'm not i don't stay up as long as i used to (laughs) that's great it's lovely to hear it's everyone has a different answer so it's always a nice question to ask them to hear what people you know would like to do uh in their day and i really encourage people to go out and like find out what they'd like to do in their ideal day and then actually go do it and be like, oh, how good is this? You know, because you have days like that, you know, in your life and you go, wow, how good is this? I've done everything that it's just like, there was no list. I just did what I wanted to do and that was it, so. Yeah, it's so good. And yeah, I have to say that I, I think I'm very lucky that I have created work that's kind of based on my passion that I also am not one of these people who want to pack their schedule completely tight so I leave enough time in there for um, things I want to do for myself. I work a lot at the coast and I always make sure that the meetings don't start till late and they finish early and I spend either, I bookend ocean trips either side so yeah I'm, I'm really big on, again it's back to that thing of you create your ideal day and you have those routines and you're going to show up to be your best. Thank you so much for coming on this afternoon. Um, I'll hold you just for two seconds, but, yeah, I really do appreciate you uh, coming on and having a chat. Um, yeah. And I guess it's just been really nice just to reflect. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. To finish off, as always, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it as this is a passion of mine. Don't forget to leave a review. It helps other people find the show. And please share this episode on your social media or tell a friend to continue spreading the message of cooking goals. You can sign up to our weekly email by clicking the link in the description of this episode and follow our Instagram at the Cooks Community. Until next time, remember to breathe.